Today's episode of Onto Waveland is presented by the Salvation Army. Your donations can help those affected by COVID-19 find help and hope. To give, ask your smart speaker to make a donation to the Salvation Army or make your gift at SalvationArmyUSA.org. Hey folks, welcome into Ant Waveland. It's the Chicago Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Patrick Mooney. Uh, Sahadev Sharma will be back with us on the next one. Just me and the Moondog uh, this time. Sounds like a, um, I don't know, like a 80s era, like nice show where you learn a lot of lessons. Me and the Moondog. Um, I'm imagining like I'm the sort of like straight laced guy and Moondog is always getting me into trouble with his shenanigans. And then, you know, 26 minutes later, we learn a lesson and, and everybody's, everybody's doing great. We hop in vans and just solve mysteries during our spare time as well. You know? <laughs> Do you remember? All right. I think we're roughly the same age or similar aged, Mooney. Uh, did you ever watch Punky Brewster? Do you remember Punky Brewster? I do. I do. Okay. For some reason, the, like I don't really remember anything about what the setup was. I just remember it was a little girl named Punky Brewster. But like there was an episode where they were playing hide and seek, and one of the kids hid in an old discarded <laughs> refrigerator. Does this sound familiar to you? Yeah, it's literally the only episode I remember. And I remember my parents just totally freaking out as if there were lots of empty refrigerators <laughs> around. That's exactly. We were really curious about it. <laughs> yes, dude. That's exactly why I remember it and why I was bringing it up. Because like, I feel like it created this tidal wave of people being panicked about these all these refrigerators that are just sitting out there. There's just all these refrigerators just out there in people's yards and kids climbing into them uh, to hide. And so. It, it was the great so, but, refrigerator panic of like 1985. I do remember that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for the blissful days of panicking about refrigerators. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, in any case, in the episode of me and the moon dog, we learned our lesson. Don't hide in refrigerators. So uh, we. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, That's a good intro a for bit. like a throwback yeah. angle you had in mind here. That's true. I thank you for the little bit of transition there. Yeah. So uh, it's uh, Friday here. Was thinking about, uh, you know, we're in this time where we get this opportunity, I think, to reflect back on some things that maybe if we were in the heat of a season, you might, I don't know, like you might get briefly poked about remembering back on a topic, but you don't really have that opportunity to sit back and like just really give a moment to think and one that I had on my brain today and, and we talked about it a bit uh, with our minor league guy Brian over at Bleacher Nation today is that we were thinking about the Cubs prospects in our lifetime that broke our heart you know the guys that um, for those of us who've been sort of prospecting nerds uh, that you thought whether out of your own sense of, uh, you know, your own juvenile understanding of player development and prospect evaluation, or whether it was like a legit dude that just didn't pan out for reasons that were beyond anybody's control, just the Cubs prospects that you totally bought into fully. And it just like did not pan out. And, um, you know, I thought 
people like to kind of reflect on those things. And I was, I was curious, did you, you know, when you've been covering the Cubs, was there ever a guy in particular or guys that you thought, you know, for whatever your perspective on the topic was worth, you were like, this is going to be a guy. And it just never happened. Well, I think it was great, great headline that, that you guys had on Bleacher Nation. And the kind of two thoughts that immediately popped into my head were one, no other prospects can break your heart that much anymore. I feel like there were just generations of Cubs prospects that came up with 1908 uh, hanging over their head and that it just isn't the same right now, that it's just kind of uh, by finally winning it in 2016, it just kind of kind of altered the experience for all these guys. It wasn't like when it happens anymore, and it wasn't this um, kind of enormous weight uh on their shoulders and then the other thought i had was just and they did make it but in terms of like heartbreak i just couldn't um ignore mark Pryor and, and carrie wood and that's not in any way to downplay their accomplishments and how difficult it is to string together a multi-year major league uh career uh, and that they had obviously great moments but when you think of Heartbreak. I'm thinking of kind of 2003 and kind of looking at those two magnificent, magnificent talents and what could have been. And not that I know these guys really well, but just you know, interacting with Kerry Wood a little bit over the years and seeing how Mark Pryor has, you know, he made a lot of money. He doesn't have to do anything. He wants to kind of give back to the game and became this interesting kind of pitching consultant for the Padres and now I think with the Dodgers he's been elevated to uh, lead pitching coach uh, at the major league level and these are you know two guys with you know good good heads on their shoulder uh, obviously fantastic talent um, and it just never quite came together and now that we keep seeing these old kind of replay games i just kind of thought back to oh three and your headline kind of put me uh in in that kind of headspace well it's perfect that you mentioned oh three because so again our prospect guy brian uh, wrote the piece but like like everyone i see this and i'm sort of like well what what is what do i think about when i think about prospects breaking my heart and what comes to me is also the 2003-ish era cubs but not because of Kerry Wood and Mark Pryor, not because the, the experience did not break my heart. It absolutely did. Um, it's funny, and I'm just I'm playing semantics, but I think of them as like Cubs players who broke my heart, you know, because they got there, they did it, they succeeded, um, and then things, you know, then it didn't happen. Whereas I sort of think about the guys who were these, you know, tip-top prospects, and it just didn't happen or it didn't happen in the way that, you know, anybody expected. And, uh, again, so where my head goes is that 2003 era, and I probably have to expand it to like 2001 to 2004 about. Um, I don't know, you know how many people remember, but when the Cubs uh, during the rebuild, this current, you know, era, they would have been 2014, I think, that they had this or 2015, early 2015, legendary prospect group, right? Where you kept seeing mm -hmm. all these references, um, you know, after, you know, as part of the plan, 
that it was like the best collection of top tier prospects that any team has had. Maybe the Royals from a few years before that, or but really it was like the best group at the top in 20 years, right? And obviously mm-hmm. they ended up winning the World Series. Great. Well, what I thought about a lot around that time, and then it came back to me today, was that you know that best group of prospects. If it was you go back 20 years or so. It was people forget the Cubs prospect group from about 2001 to 2004 was absolutely remarkable. So not only did you have Mark Pryor very briefly within that group, you also had Carlos Zambrano emerging. Okay, Kerry Wood was obviously long graduated by that point. But do people remember names like Angel Guzman, Juan Cruz, Andy Cisco, Justin Jones? The Cubs had for as much as we think about what they've not done in the current era, they had at one point, I think, six top 100 pitching prospects, including a few guys at the very tip top. Um, It was just a mind-boggling collection of pitching prospect talent uh, at a time when the big league rotation was full of very good pitching already. They had Zambrano, they had Wood, they had Pryor, they had Matt Clement. They brought back Greg Maddox in 2004. And then right after them, they had this just tidal wave of pitching coming. And not a single one of that group panned out. Uh, Guzman and Cruz had decent careers as relievers. You know, they, they had some time. Uh, but generally speaking, from that entire group, nothing panned out. And, uh, you know, you want to talk about breaking your heart or burning you a little bit in a way that you don't let go. Um, that for me was like, man, I'm never going to believe in a big group of pitching prospects ever again. Uh, because that just, that's that expression, uh, that there is no such thing as a pitching prospect. And it's because true or not, because I think people ignore that positional prospects can also suffer, uh, either surprise injuries or lack of performance, but man, just, just seems like pitching prospects, they're tip top. And then all of a sudden something happens and it just goes away. So that, yeah, boy, that early two thousands prospect core for the Cubs, it's still, I'm like, Oh, what could have been in the two thousands if that group had actually emerged? Yeah. My first year covering the Cubs was 2010. And I believe that year, uh, Angel Guzman, uh, was attempting a comeback and, I can't remember if he made it or not, but the thing that I will always remember is kind of the way Cubs officials talked about him and what he was, and kind of internally they described him as as good as Zambrano, as talented as Zambrano, if not uh, more so. And Carlos Zambrano, for all of his uh, personality quirks and uh, humorous moments I think gets lost that that guy was just an absolute freak who was built like you know uh an NFL defender uh and could you know throw a baseball whatever in that you know close to 100 miles an hour and he could hit major league pitching and hit bombs like this guy was an absolute freak and uh when they were coming up together you know it was kind of a Maybe not a toss-up, but in terms of you know raw ability, there was not a whole lot of separation uh, between those two guys. And I think we've certainly seen that in a new era of, of Cubs baseball and under a different regime and the difficulties and the unpredictability of trying to identify and develop pitchers. And 
I think that's one of the things that we're curious about here of like what happens now if you, you know, just kind of wipe an entire year of development uh, away that, you know, Thieves always says progress isn't linear, um, but there is obviously a lot of value uh, in these struggles and learning, you know, how to handle failure and how to kind of get your mind and body right. And I think that's one of the, of the, obviously when we're looking at this current, uh, global health crisis, sports are kind of down in the corner and this is like, you know, many, many layers beneath that. But I do think it's interesting, you know, just in the, we, we talked about last week, um, this Cubs moment at the major league level and kind of seeing that window close and what a shortened season, if at all, uh, might mean. I think on the minor league level, you're looking at uh, a year where they're supposed to kind of really uh, accelerate a lot of these ideas and plans and programs that they had. They had new uh, a new leadership structure, even if uh, a lot of the people were already existing Cubs employees and you had a couple of uh, drafts stacked on top of each other where they felt uh, there were some interesting arms within that um, what they felt was probably the best you know top to bottom pitching depth in the farm system which isn't saying a whole lot but they felt like they were making progress and now whether it's these individual pitchers or just the organization as a whole you're just kind of you know taking one whole year away it's obviously you know unfortunate yeah I mean ultimately you're gonna see um, the impacts of whatever this year looks like at the minor league level um, I mean, I think we've reached the point in the logistics and the finances for minor league baseball are such that it's uh, more or less impossible to imagine even a truncated regular minor season, minor league season, where you've got fans in the stands that that justify the operations. I think um, not to be, you know, Debbie Downer about it, but I do think it's I think we have to be realistic about the possibility that this for all intents and purposes will be an entirely lost minor league season. And so that does raise that question of, okay, so we know prospects across the game are going to be impacted by this and some will come out. Okay. And some will come out uh, having really developed in different and interesting and useful ways with this downtime. Um, And for others, it will just be a, a loss, a true loss. And I think about, you know, when you want to try to, put a human face on it for for the you know an example um what's interesting is i can bridge the gap from um you know angel guzman was the last cubs pitching prospect to be a consensus top 30 in the game that was 16 years ago he was the last one and right now for the first time (laughs) in those 16 years the cubs have a pitching prospect who is threatening to break through into that and that's that's Braylon Marquez and I think about what a you know like you said and I agree as an outside observer that the Cubs uh, pitching prospect depth you know the sort of the collection of interesting could be guys is in a really good place relative to where it's been over the last 10 years but ultimately it's a you get disproportionate impact from just a few guys and you want to have as many shots as you can. Um, but it, it really does matter, those truly 
elite impact guys that you can get the most out of them because you can't teach everybody a hundred miles per hour. You can't teach everybody a devastating slider. You can't, you just can't create a Braylon Marquez. You know, all you can do is get the absolute most you can out of him. And so that this year, um, you know, it was going to see the potential for him not only to maybe start out at double uh, a as a starter, and accelerate from there to the point where he could have been a bullpen weapon down the stretch for the Cubs. Uh, and now it's, I, I mean, nobody can really even say what his year could look like because not only is it going to be so individualized for him, what does he need in this moment to stay sharp and develop? But what if we're talking about a super abbreviated season with super large expanded rosters and you're talking about having, you know, the capability to have 16 17 guys in the bullpen i don't know that you don't start thinking well it's going to be a weird year anyway let's let's get this kid exposed to some big league hitters in short doses while getting some big league benefit out of it and and i think that's going to be an interesting calculus for teams across baseball that being presented with this development question it's like at what point do you recognize you're not going to be able to do the things that you were planning on doing so f it Let's use this weird year at the big league level to just uh, try to get some of these guys exposure. I just, yeah, I wonder about that. Um, and particularly because the Cubs had put this, invested so heavily in a new development infrastructure that I'm not saying it's going to waste this year. Maybe it's all for the better that they had it in place this year because this year is so challenging. But yeah, you wonder, you know, we think about prospects that broke your heart like across baseball in five, 10 years, fan bases are going to look back to this era and it's going to be a line of demarcation. I, there's just no question in my mind, whether it's artificial or not, people are going to be able to look back and say, Oh, that dude was going to be so good. And then do you remember when that COVID-19 thing happened and they missed a year and he just was never the same. I, I feel like we're going to see a lot of that. And yeah, I mean, once they get past or once they get clearance from the proper public health officials, I think the biggest kind of <clears throat> on-field concern is obviously going to be pitchers' arms and, and pitchers' health. And I think that's, you know, what obviously separates baseball from, say, like the NBA and starting back up, that pitchers' arms, which in certain cases are worth hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, um, are going to be in an on the field sense, kind of what's uh, at stake here. And I can't remember because every day just blends together and I'm kind of losing my mind, but we've talked, uh, I know it's hot of it and I have talked and I think, I don't I can't remember if I mentioned on the podcast, but who cares? Um, this idea of like a 200 inning pitcher was already kind of going away. And it just makes you wonder if um, it's never going to come back. And there's going to be this kind of generation of pitchers who the, the best of the best, you know, will become number one guys, but uh, everyone else is kind of slotted uh, into these kind of like Josh Hader type roles or openers. Um, I think what the Dodgers have done with Dustin May and some of their young arms, uh, the Cubs were already uh, last summer kind of kick around the idea of what Marquez uh, could do and, you know, if they needed a left-hander who could throw a hundred miles an hour in the middle of a pennant race. If he's healthy, uh, why not? I mean, these guys, you know, there's probably a theory that they only have so many bullets that, that they can fire and, you know, why waste them 
on years and years of minor league training you know if they're they're ready for it uh throw them in there so i do think that this conversation we're having is going to be uh, extended you know throughout the year uh, once we get more clarity on what baseball can and cannot do this year yeah and into next year too when i mean you can connect and this is a conspiracy minded this is just how interconnected this stuff is that if you've got a wonky year this year if it happens um and it impacts the way you can use pitchers um because of health and because of roster size and because of an abbreviated season it is not at all hard to imagine there being some permanent changes like you said to the the way pitchers are used beyond the you know very small top handful of guys um both because the game was already trending that way and because of what has happened this year and because, let's be honest, there's a financial incentive for teams because of the way that um, players are paid right now. There is an incentive not to commit huge dollars to, quote, starting pitchers when if the environment changes such that you could continue to circulate out um, multi-inning relievers, sort of three or four inning starters. Um, if you had a large enough accumulation of guys like that, well, you'd be able to move them up and down for a fraction of the price of just like one big time pricey starting pitcher. And if, if what happens this year provides, um, you know, I might say cover, they might say opportunity, but whatever the word you choose, if it provides a situation where teams can say, ah, you know, we got to kind of try this out. We're going to, we're going to do a, you know, uh, four pitcher rotation where everybody's got short starts and then other guys take over for them in the third or fourth inning. Um, and you, where you would never get buy-in before from players, um, because it's not traditional because it's long-term against their own interests, whatever it is, you might get some of that buy-in now to really change the structure of way, the way pitchers are used. And that might not just be a this year thing. If, if this year happens, it might be like, hey, oh, did you notice we did that thing last year? And I know it was a weird season, but it did kind of work out. So we're going we're gonna to keep rolling with that. Like I could see a lot of really significant pitching-related structural changes because of the opportunity that this year provides yeah we always talk about you know baseball players as creatures of habit uh to the point of you know just sometimes absurd lengths whether it's the guy stepping out of the box and constantly adjusting you know their batting gloves uh, or the pitchers stepping off the mound or kind of the disputes between labor and management over you know what type of shoes Ben Zobers can wear and what the color is supposed to be and I think it will be uh, obviously we're all hoping to get back to work and get back to something that more resembles uh, normal and like any industry it'll be really uh, fascinating to see uh, in baseball kind of what comes of this we've talked about this before on on the TV side on the broadcast side um, the number of decisions the Cubs are going to be facing this year with kind of all these free agents coming up on the horizon and all the way down to uh, these young guys who, you know, if they didn't get a nice bonus when they signed are really kind of 
struggling now and I'm sure um, we'll be looking for any way uh, to get to the majors uh, as soon as they can. So um, I think we'll leave it there. You know, the prospecting side of things in this moment maybe is, um, you know, baseball itself is further down on the consideration list and then prospecting is further down on the baseball consideration list because we talk about the big leagues and we talk about the minor leagues. But, you know, again, the prospecting side of things has a really particular uh, flavor that it adds to this situation. And I'm kind of intrigued by this topic that, you know, we haven't seen discussed quite, quite as much. And I think the further we get into uh, the late part of spring and into the summer, and as particularly as we get a sense of what a minor league season or minor league experience this year could look like, I expect that this will become a bigger topic of conversation. Like what are teams doing to get an edge in player development this year and things like that. And I, I do look forward to, um, those conversations, you know, circumstances suck, obviously, but um, sometimes necessity breeds creativity and it, it breeds interesting conversations like this one today. So I want to thank you guys for listening. Uh, you know, hey, you want to tell us about the Cubs prospects that broke your heart? Just uh, fire a little one of them uh, tweets at uh, either Patrick, uh, it's what, at PJ underscore Mooney and mm-hmm. uh, at Sahadev even at Sahadev. Sharma and I am at Brett uh, underscore a underscore Taylor uh, all of us on Twitter I I never give us a shout for that so I figured I would this time but otherwise rate and review us listen to us in the athletic app or wherever you get your podcasts this is on to Waveland it is a Chicago Cubs podcast here at the athletic so thank you very much for listening we'll be back at you soon have a great weekend folks (laughs) 